The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma-informed and resiliency-focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information. Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well-being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine miller Karras. Welcome to Resiliency Within, and I also want to let everyone know we're also live streaming on Facebook on the Resiliency Within page. Today, I welcome Dr. Eileen Naomi Russ to Resiliency Within, and I think we are going to have a wonderful conversation. We have a lot in common. And the more that I get to know her, the more that I want to learn from her. But we um, have decided to call the show, her suggestion, Pillars of Brain Health, Trauma Healing, and Stress Resilience, and Nervous System Health. And you, if you've been listening to this show, you know that we talk about the nervous system a lot. So she's going to give us her vision and why that she feels this is, this is important. So let me tell you a little bit about her. First of all, she has a trauma-informed science-based approach to brain health and optimal longevity. She's developed a, what she calls a user-friendly way of using a functional medicine approach to help prevent Alzheimer's and improve um, patients um, to help them build resilience, right? Stress resilience. And she focuses on numerous lifestyle pillars of brain health. These lifestyle lifestyle pillars like sleep, diet, and movement, and we'll hear more from, from her about this and how we engage with them can directly affect how we think and how we feel, according to her. She combines many trauma healing modalities such as ancestral archaeology, brain spotting, somatic techniques, and her biological and um, into her biological and spiritual model. But I'm going to say a couple more things about her. And I want you all to know there's a longer description on um, Voice America's webpage about her because she has done a lot in her in her life. She is currently the co-director of the Healthy Brain Program in Colorado and is coordinator of the Rehabilitation and Trauma Treatment Programs. She's also a neuropsychologist in Ontario, Canada. Um, and she has a PhD from the University of Birmingham in England. She has authored numerous papers in the areas of psychology, neuropharmacology, and neuroscience in areas as diverse as cerebral palsy in children, Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's disease, and the effects of neurotransmitters on behavior. So I, I also want to just say two more things about that. You co-founded the Memory Loss Clinic in Ottawa, Canada, and the Death Cafe in Boulder County. And you got to tell us what that is. Interesting name, um, but as we get started, um, welcome, and what's on your mind today as we're getting started? I'm happy to be here. I'm happy that I'm happy to know you, Elaine, and there are so many different ways I know we intersect, and I know we can support each other and support people who are, are suffering or looking to build resilience themselves, so I'm, I'm excited to, to take this first step and have a conversation with you. Well, I am very excited that you're here. And I want to, you know, let you know that 
um, the way that we became acquainted was really through our mutual respect and assistance of Ukrainians. So she contacted me before she was going to do something called a Toloka, which is kind of like a large conference where we share our ideas and, and experiences about treating trauma, for example, um, with a wide range of Ukrainians coming from many, many different backgrounds. So we had this conversation and then um, she did her Toloka first and I actually didn't realize that it was connected. And then um, I was, they asked me to do a Toloka and they sent me a little clip of a person who did a very nice introduction. And the clip was of Filene. And I'm going, oh my gosh, I've just spoken to her. So anyway, we learned that there were many things that we had in common and I'm so happy to have her on the show today. So, you know, I want to ask you something, um, Eileen, you know, when you sent me um, some ideas for the show, you made a statement about, and this is what it is. So you said, learning to tend to our nervous system, healing traumas, and building emotional and behavioral regulation can help expand our capacity to deal with the challenges and hardships we in inevitably face in life. So could you explain a little bit about that and, and, how, and how so? Tell us a little bit about your philosophy about it. Thanks for quoting me. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm going to quote you again. It's not. It's, it's only the first time. Go you know, in the model that I think I've developed, and it, it's a model I've developed for my own life that I'm sharing with you all, it's a coming together of emotional health, relationship health, um, a healthy relationship between me and myself, uh, a self-healthy relationship a relationship that's healthy with my family and my community. And so it expands. And I do feel it starts with our own nervous system regulation and our own nervous system health. I feel that, you know, something as extreme as war in the world begins with a lot of nervous system dysregulation that is compounded and exponentially um, grows to be very, very harmful. So at the root, I think it's up to each of us individually. And what I mean by nervous system regulation is just noticing, being able to tend to and befriend whatever's happening with us inside. Yeah. Um, it's not easy to do. It's not a skill that we learn very often from, we don't learn, we tend not to learn it in school, but I know that some schools are starting to incorporate more social, um, emotional awareness and nervous system health. We don't really even talk enough about our nervous systems, even though that's kind of the, the engine, the, the operating system that helps us move through the world and either have a peace in the world and with ourselves, uh, tension and obstacles in the world. Um, and how we navigate those obstacles very much depends on the flexibility of our internal environment and our awareness of it. So, um, yes, yeah. I think you're absolutely right. And I was just um, talking to some folks from Emory University, and they actually have created a social and emotional learning course called C Learning, but they have included what they call, and I love this term, body literacy. So that with this program that is really going around the world that's completely free, that anyone listening can go to Emory University and just put in C Learning, and you'll come to their to their um, their webpage where you can learn how to become a facilitator, because that's exactly what they believe in. What you just said, and how what, what a wonderful thing that they offer this curriculum free of charge. 
because I think, you know, we, we learn how to read, we learn how to write, um, but we need to learn how to manage this amazing body that we have. And our nervous system is really our GPS system, right? About where we are. That's right. And how do we fertilize it? You know, if our mind and our bodies are a garden, what are we filling that garden with? Who are we spending our time with? What are our thoughts? What are we putting into our bodies that affect our gut? Or how is our immune system? And interestingly enough, um, you know, I found functional medicine just to take a quick dive into okay. uh, different components of this healthy you know, nervous system. Our nervous system is not just about our awareness of it and our sensitivity to it. It's also about what we feed our nervous system, actually, what comes into our nervous system from the environment. It could be, you know, that our gut mm -hmm. is not healthy because what we're putting into our bodies is um, disrupting our gut microbiome. And I don't want to get too far onto a tangent, but I just want to at least let the audience know that this is a very this resilience and social emotional health is very multifaceted. And it also has to do with how are we living our lives? And when you and I speak about trauma or um, chronic stress, um, very often, uh, both of those affect our gut health, for example, they affect our thoughts, they affect our gut. So I just, I, I, I do want the audience to know that there are lifestyle pillars that also can feed stress resilience that improve our ability and our capacity to be strong. And so I guess my next question, no matter what you might be dealing with in the world, I mean, here we both have worked um, in different parts of the world, like in Ukraine, where there, there's a war, they had, have control over the fact that there is a war, that their daily lives are being impacted, that there is an existential threat practically every day. And yet, you know, can you can you maintain the stress resilience even during war? It depends where you are on this uh, trauma continuum. And war is at one extreme and perpetual threat is on that one extreme. And um there are other versions on a trauma continuum. And I think that you can work at any point, no matter where you are, on stress resilience. And I think, interesting. I think that's an important thing to emphasize, isn't it? That no matter where you are, you can, we can all work on stress resilience. Because um, otherwise, we can start to feel like, oh, I can't control anything in my life. That's and right. we can maybe even start to feel a certain sense of hopelessness. But, you know, this kind of gets me this to the kind of my next question. I'm going to quote you again. You said feeling greater emotional resilience can help us connect with experiences of greater freedom and joy and improve the health of our relationships, regardless of our circumstances, which is kind of what you just said. But then the other thing, and I want to just do a shout out to everyone listening who has mothered a person, an animal, um, and sometimes mothers are not of the female gender. Um, in terms of the people that you have cared for in your life. But I, you said that being a mother has greatly informed your service work and, and as an international humanitarian worker and community health educator. I was really curious about that. Can you illuminate a little bit of, of, about, you know, what this, uh, this quote that I've just uh, um, expressed to our audience? Oh, I'm happy that you're mentioning it because I didn't know you would quote me, but it is just, you know, we're just on the, on the back end of Mother's Day and, I, I recognized I was a very, very um, dedicated and, and high-powered 
neuropsychologist and neuroscientist in Canada and in England. I was really like focused on my career. And I realized when I was pregnant for the first time about 27 years ago that I didn't think I could do both both well. So I really chose motherhood for a number of years, not exclusively because I stayed clinically active somewhat, but I knew that I really had to devote, I had to fertilize the garden of my own child's nervous system. It was one child at that time. And I really had to focus on that. Um, so I learned so much about um, tuning in and attunement and regulating with another being, a very sensitive and vulnerable other being. And I think that it was about 30 years ago that I took a deeper dive into trauma healing and understanding nervous system regulation, because as mothers or as parents or as primary caregivers, I think I'll speak for myself. I think that's my primary job is to be highly attuned and highly um, sensitive to someone else's state um, as well as my own state. And I do believe it starts with, with us. It starts with me. It starts with you being regulated with your own child or grandchild, uh, Elaine. So that's how it informed me. And, and now we understand more from polyvagal theory. We understand more about how important the uh, autonomic nervous system is, that branch of the nervous system that is actually built in to keep us aware of when we are safe with another and when we're getting cues of safety for, from another. So that's my kind of like, you know, just recognizing the responsibility of being a mother and helping to form a nervous system that already has its own imprints as it comes in. Right? Yes, it does. And I just kind of want to emphasize, you know, one of the things that you said about, you know, it's, it's about that attunement, that one person with another person. And, you know, what does attunement mean? It's not only our thoughts and our feelings, but it's our, that body literacy again, are we within a, a what I call a zone of well-being or the resilient zone, or are we outside of that? Because, you know, I can, I can remember when my first one was born and uh, he was crying one day and I was trying to get him to quiet down. I was rocking him and my mom comes in and she goes, let me have him. And she takes him. He's quiet. I'm going, oh, you know, what am I doing wrong? Well, I had a jacked up nervous system. I now know what happened. And he was reacting to my nervous system. She comes in as the calm grandma and starts to rock him. And immediately he stops crying and he falls asleep. So, I mean, I'm sure all the mothers out there are thinking, I've had that happen to me too. And so, and I, but I didn't know about how we could have greater interceptive awareness, how we could learn to read our nervous system. So when you say taking care of oneself, to me, like putting that oxygen mask on is also about not only what we think and we feel, but what we're sensing inside. And if we're jacked up, like I was that one time, oh my goodness, that's hard to go through the world, isn't it? Because it's yeah. not just, it's not only um, uh, how it impacts another being, but that what you're saying that, toxicity of what may be happening to us that's now affecting our gut affecting our sleep all the different things that are the side effect of that so yeah that's exactly right um yeah there's a there's a sensitivity i think that um and it may be that c program from emory talks about uh, emotional granularity and how our we have primary feelings of sadness or fear um happiness, but there's also kind of gradations and um, 
smaller granularity around each of those feelings and the more literate we become about how how those feelings are impacting us uh, or what they then we understand more about what's happening in our bodies too there are times i'm like oh i'm so calm but my stomach's in a knot i check in with my body or or um, use my neuroceptive skills that i'm trying to grow myself how what's happening in my own nervous system and i think this is kind of new language for some people that's important to you know at least hook onto a little bit so that we feel like we have more greater possibility for um connection and for freedom like we were talking about before yeah and you you said something you you said a a theory and maybe you could give us a simple explanation you mentioned um Fortis's polyvagal theory. I'm going to ask you, can you explain that simply? What does that mean? Because many of our listeners may not have any idea what the polyvagal theory is. Yeah, no, I think it, it's a, it's good to talk about polyvagal theory because um, polyvagal theory is a relatively new theory about, about our nervous systems. And we have a, a nerve in our bodies called the vagus nerve and it starts, and I'm not an expert, uh, in polyvagal theory, but I've done a lot of reading and studying. And it's something that I incorporate into my own therapy practice, into my own understanding of uh, how my own body and nervous system work. So getting back to what the vagus nerve is, the vagus nerve is uh, called the vagus nerve because it is a very long, winding, wandering nerve uh, that starts in our brainstem and has uh, projections all over our heart, our lungs, our belly, uh, our organs. And so we're always getting this communication between what's happening in our bodies, going back up to our brain and information from our brain going back down to our bodies. And the vagus nerve is a very important conduit that allows this bi-directional direction in, uh, uh, sorry, movement in both directions of information from our bodies to our brain, our brain to our bodies. So that's what the vagus nerve is. But polyvagal theory is Stephen Porges's, um a, a brilliant uh, treatise and book of the same name uh, that lets us know that our automatic or autonomic nervous system, because we have several branches of our nervous system, and um, polyvagal theory uh, uh, introduced to us that we have a portion of our nervous system called the ventral vagus, which is a, 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 the more forward uh, portion of the vagus nerve that very much innervates our face and our, uh, our social engagement network, it's called. And so the reason I bring up polyvagal theory is because now we know we have a physiologic explanation for how and why uh, a cues of safety are so wonderful when they come from each other, when we can connect with each other. And this autonomic system. Yeah, these, and these cues are physiological, right? This is what I thought was so important. You know, and, and when someone once um, explained to me, have you ever gone into a movie theater and sat next to someone and all of a sudden you decided you needed to move? What is telling us that? And that's part of the polyvagal theory, right? That we have this um, um, it's a neuroception that is, is not even in our conscious awareness, but there is a sense that we have whether some someone feels safe or unsafe that's based on 
how we were cared for when we were children, whether there was that attunement that you're talking about that you clearly had with your children, right? In saying, I'm staying home with you. I'm not going to do as much work. I'm going to be there. I'm going to rock you. I'm going to do all the things that that new parents do because we know that that is what helps with that social engagement um, system, right? So I imagine you held your baby and you looked your baby in the eyes and you would rock, is it him or her? I don't I know. Have, yeah. I have a him and a her. Okay, so you would rock them and look, oh, aren't you beautiful, blah, 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 right? Eye to eye, they would look at you and there was that sweet bonding that would happen. Well, sadly, not everybody got that. And That's if you right. didn't get that, then your facial expressions, and you see it, I was one time, I was a, I worked in a, in a NICU and the babies that were failure to thrive, that they would bring in that, you know, someone found the parents were taken away. Those children had no social engagement. They were just flat. They, they did not, they couldn't engage in time. They started to engage, but when they came in, you just felt so, oh my gosh, it just broke my heart to see them because they didn't have that attunement that we're talking about. And that's, that's part of the polyvagal theory. Is that correct? It is. It is. And just going back to this, this is so automatic, as you said, Elaine, our, our autonomic nervous system is our automatic nervous system that can really function below the radar. And I think it's possible for each of us to make that below the radar system become something that's actually on the radar. And um, so the, the below the radar is how, what's our, what's our breath rate? What's our heart rate? Are my palms sweating now a little bit because I'm excited to be with you and a little nervous? Am I aware of what's happening? Is my belly all tight? So even as we're talking about it, I'm actually taking a moment to check in and notice all those things. And I actually invite everyone else who's listening to do the same because we need to slow it down because slow is the new fast when it comes to freedom and peace and self-awareness and kindness. And, um, and that's that, that joy you were talking about, right? So I, you know, I think it's so important that we have these conversations because we're talking about like feelings and things that people say, well, if we just felt more joy, but we're saying, well, guess what? Maybe you can. But what connecting it to what's happening in the body and even remembering a joyous moment, if you don't feel joy, joy at this moment in time, can bring that awareness in a sensory way into the present moment. And I think, wow, we're designed this way. I call that an amen, hallelujah moment that we can, that, we, <laughs> that we're able to do that, right? It's great. And we know, I was just reading about, I forget what it's called. It's a performance enhancement tool that athletes use and, and we as lay people can use too by imagining, as you just said, imagining something or imagine a success that we might have and actually walking our bodies through it, walking our bodies through that success and experiencing our physiology and our nervous system just following that success. And I think a lot of the work that you do and I do with people is allowing the the positive to infuse, even if it's just a small moment, just remembering that there's a possibility to shift to peace. Yeah. And that, and that, that it's possible because sometimes if we're in situations, like you were saying that there is, a, there is a degree, there's the person that's living in war and then there's a person that may be feeling a, a lot of fear a lot. And, and I want to, I know that we're getting close to our break, but I want to talk a little bit about that fear. We were, we talked about it a little bit when we were preparing for the show and this has to do with being a mother as well, or being a parent or just a member of society. 
there have been, I think, gosh, so many, so many shootings. The violence in America right now is so great. Um, and, you know, regardless of what people feel is the reason for it, I think that many of us are living a little bit more hypervigilance. Um, I know myself as a grandmother, when I know my granddaughter is being sent off to school, I go, oh, please keep her safe. I, I have a, an extra sense of, of hypervigilance for her that I wouldn't have had before because they seem so random, unexpected. And how, how can we, as you know, mental health providers, as a society, how do we deal with that state of, of hypervigilance? Not all of us are going to go to a therapist like you for this or like me, but it's like something that they live in every day. And it concerns me when you talk about how the inputs affect our body. It affects our mind and our body. But what ha happens to a society that is experiencing, you know, too much, too much, too fast on kind of a regular basis? So I'm, I'm going to, and that's the question. Now, if you want to say a little bit about it, we're going to take a break in a, in a couple minutes, but if you want to say a little bit about it, but we can maybe do a deeper dive to your answer of this um, when we come back. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm going to invite everyone who's listening to also take a pause and get a sense for them, for themselves, each of us for our own selves, and then to share some ideas around, you and I share some ideas around how we can resource our own, make choices around being in places every day or being in nervous system states each day uh, that allow for calm and allow for islands of peace, islands of safety within each day. It can't kind of be like once a week I go to yoga. I talk to my patients about how to create a, a, a slower, um, keeping in mind that people need to work, but just taking that pause. Sometimes it's once every 15 minutes. Some of the online apps, if I can mention them, like Calm or Insight Timer, you can use your own timer just to remind you of a resource on the top of the hour or to tag a behavior like brushing your teeth with um, feeling your feet on the ground, imagining, you know, your favorite tree from when you were young. There are many ways to orient to beauty and creativity and safety throughout the day and making a choice to do that and not to watch the news too much, become more aware of when you're feeling flooded. Um, and like putting a pause on that, that the news I think can be very dysregulating. I also want to make a plug too, that many people know that I've created a free app called iChill that also can take you through some of those resources as well. And also the apps that, um, that um, Eileen has shared with us. Um, I, we're going to take a, a break in just, in just a minute or so, but I really want to come back and revisit um, and maybe expand the different kinds of things, but I want to say before I'm for the, for those of you, of course, that aren't on Facebook live watching this, I am sitting in a chair that has, I just, it's a new chair that I just got from my desk and it has, it can swivel and it can rock. And as I heard Eileen talking about paying attention to the positive things, this was underneath my conscious awareness. I was noticing that I was rocking in the chair. Now, what does rocking do for Elaine? It calms me. I can, I just, in fact, I just took a deeper breath, but that was underneath my conscious awareness until I heard you say that. So think about those things as we're going off to break. 
Are there things that you do that you might not even be aware of, like rocking, like I just did, that may help you calm our nervous system and kind of come back to that zone of well-being that's so important for all of us? So we'll be back in, in, in just a, a couple minutes. You're going to hear from our sponsor, the Trauma Resource Institute. And uh, remember that that um, that was the that was the nonprofit that I co-founded. So they are the sponsor of the show. Beautiful. We'll be back in a moment with Dr. Rusk and continue this conversation. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma-informed and resiliency-focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information. Elaine miller Karras' book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at Elaine at ResiliencyWithin.com. Elaine miller Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Your life. Your health. Your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Resiliency Within with Elaine miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. I am here with Dr. Eileen Naomi Rusk. We're having a very lovely conversation about something, um, I guess a shared passion that we both have about the nervous system and how we can actually heal ourselves. And one of the things that we were just talking about are different ways that we can calm the nervous system. And you gave us a lot of wonderful examples. Is there more that you wanna say about that as we've come back from break? Well, that's great. I think while our audio listeners were on break as well, we talked about um, ways to, have things in our environment that might be beautiful. And I'm going to just invite people right now who are listening to notice something in your own environment. I'm noticing a beautiful, healthy uh, tree that's in my office. And to pause for a moment to think about how that tree draws up 
uh, nutrients, how it provides uh, shade and fruit in the summer, and to just take a moment for everyone to notice something in their own environment. I have beautiful stones in my office, but that's um, that 15 seconds or 20 seconds, there's some data that shows that we actually need to pause on that beauty, to pause on that nourishment from the resource for it to actually settle in and then notice it in our nervous system. Um, so that was something that we talked about. Then there are memories that are resources, memories of uh, a peaceful time when we were young or times when we laughed hilariously. Um, what about you, Elaine? Anything come to mind for other resources? <laughs> I've been you know, doing this work for a long time and it's reminding me of a story. So um, during the pandemic, I had to have a surgery and, you know, when you have to have surgery, I was a little nervous right. and, but I was really, I felt so fortunate. I had this wonderful, um, nurse and she was originally from China and I had done a lot of work in China, um, in response to an earthquake many years ago. So we were talking about the parts of China that we loved. And we had just this lovely conversation as I was literally in the pre-surgical room and had been a little nervous, but after talking with her, I just was so calm and I could notice that I was calmer. And of course I kind of work at this in terms of it with intention to be calmer. So I go into the surgery I, I and I come out of the surgery and um, those who've listened to the show may know that I love show tunes, love Broadway musicals, et cetera. So I'm coming out of the recovery room and I'm going, and I'm saying to myself, Oh my gosh, what a wonderful thing in this hospital. They're actually playing show tunes on the overhead speakers. I'm going, what a blessing I'm having today. You know, I'm still, I'm groggy. So I get into the, the, the recovery room and, and I'm hearing the song, like everything's coming up roses. Right. So, um, and I'm going, and all of a sudden I look at the nurse, I go, is that, is that on the loudspeaker? She said, no, you've been singing all the way down the hallway. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, that is a true story. And when the, uh, when the anesthesiologist came in, I said, is it normal for people to sing like that? He goes, well, I don't really see that. He said, I usually see people crying when they come out of anesthesia. And so I thought, okay, this has been working. So now that memory with that, with the, with the nurse, with the doctor, with having, sir, I'm not thinking about, okay, why I had the surgery that was painful, nothing. It's like, Beautiful. oh my gosh, I'm, everything's coming up roses. How is that? So that's my story about a memory <laughs> since you asked me. <laughs> wow, that's great. And it's also, it's also kind of evidence that it's something that you've practiced. You've practiced these positive resources for so long that it became automatic and reflexive. And that's, that's what we're looking for. That's what I found when I started meditating. I was a very young girl and I, I did, you know, we don't understand why we meditate. Why would we focus on just one sound or just one breath? Why would we do that? And uh, I'm not suggesting that meditation is good for everybody, but it's interesting. But I remember a teacher saying to me, you don't meditate to become an expert meditator. You meditate so that if you need to find a, a place of calmer peace inside at one, at, what, at one day, you can find it. And just like you found your show tune, you know. You can there it was. There it was. <laughs> One of my favorite Broadway shows. Well, so let me ask you this. Um, I'm, I'm going to segue if this is okay with you. And sure. you know, I'm just really curious. Here you are, kind of this international neuropsychologist. You've done so much. You've published papers. Um, you've been on, you know, in the UK, in the US, in Canada, 
and different parts of the world. I know that you brought your ideas. So can you tell us a little bit about your personal journey? What, what, how, what inspired you to do the things that you're doing? Was there something that happened in your own childhood or young adulthood that said, ah, I'm called to this? It's, a, it's, you know, I, I've just been putting my own kind of my own narrative together because I really feel like it's so important to understand our own origin story, each of us, yeah. to you know, to understand our own, our own traumas, our own resources so that we can share our biggest gifts. Cause I, I believe that we each have souls with each of us having soul purposes and those soul purposes can become really alive when we get a sense of why we were put on the earth. And, you know, I have a very early memory of having a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety. And I remember a moment when I was 11 years old, my dad was putting me to sleep and he gave me a kiss goodnight. And I said to him, daddy, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. I don't feel right. The world isn't supposed to be this way. I'm not supposed to feel this way. And I'm kind of delighted that I had that sense of something's wrong because my parents listened. They listened right away. And I saw my first psychotherapist who was a pediatric psychiatrist when I was 11 years old. And I started exploring my own fear and my own um, distress. And I didn't know until I was older that I, I had been born with you know epigenetic material. I had been born with memories and feelings from the people who came before me. It didn't start with me as, you know, Mark Wollen's book, I think is called, that's an ancestral trauma book. So I think I came in with uh, some anxiety and some depression. And I know that my grandfather and many members of my family uh, had a lot of wounding. And on my father's side, they'd been through the Holocaust. And, you know, I didn't understand it, but I definitely felt a trembling, right? Mm -hmm. So I continue to kind of look for, you know, how, how could I become less fearful? How could I become less anxious? And studying the mind and studying psychology is what I ended up doing. And then trying to understand how the brain works, I thought would be very soothing for me. So even though I think that I'm part artist, part scientist, I went into the sciences because I wanted to understand how the brain could be um, changed, worked with to produce uh, greater mental health. And my fear actually drove my studies, you know? Mm -hmm. so, studies. Let me ask you this. So when you talk about ancestral archaeology, this is what you're talking about. Is yeah. what, yeah, you know, it's like, what is, what is your ancestral history and how has that contributed to the anxiety, the fears, the joys that you may have now? Now you used a word, ep ep epigenic, <laughs> I can't even, I can't say the word. You know what I'm saying? Can you say a little bit about what that means? Epigenetics. I can. I can say um, that we inherit genes and then we also inherit the capacity, just like with our nervous systems, we create, we have flexibility depending upon what we do and the input that we receive from our environment, our genes, our genes, the the methyl groups on top of our genes, things about our genes can change. So we inherit information. Some of the information is fixed that we inherit. Like I couldn't 
change my hair color. And then there's some information that we're able to change. And I think it's important to know that there's so much hope and potential in our ability to actually make changes, even if we have inherited uh, imprints of trauma. But just to at least be aware that information from our ancestors, our grandmothers, our grandfathers, our late parents are still informing us, our habits, our moods. And I think there's great hope in knowing that because maybe just creating a family tree and getting a sense of, gee, yeah, my grandfather, oh my God, he had abuse in his childhood. He was really depressed. And then, but the mother was so nurturing and kind. I've inherited that too. So to get a sense of what resources there are in our ancestors and what shadow there was too, I think those are are very important um, pieces to look at when when we're beginning to just understand how we work and why, how we came to be. And so that was part of my journey is, is beginning to study where I came from. Well, and I think that the, the epigenetics, as I've, you know, read about it, I've, you know, read the work, the work of Dr. Yehuda, who's right. done significant work with the children of Holocaust survivors, and that um, there is something in terms of, well, I, I know it's still in the theoretical framework of that, the theory is that, that, that those experiences change us. And when we think about, I mean, I think about my own mom who came to this country from El Salvador, and I have a wonderful photo behind me that is my my mother um, right next to my great grandmother who was Mayan. And think about what happened when the Spaniards came to Guatemala, um, to the Mayan culture, and that many of the natives were killed. And they were, you know, if you didn't accept this as, you know, what the way we look at the world. Um, and what was in her DNA that was, you know, again, transported to my mom and then to me, because there was a lot of shame that my mom came with when she came to the, the United States. And I, you know, I have to wonder what could that be connected to what had happened to her ancestrally that then gets transmitted to the next generation. And sometimes we think, oh, it's not, it's just what we've experienced here. But I, I really come to believe like you, and I, I know, and we've, we have a few years under our belt together, right? right. That there's more to it than that. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's also a relief because I think that modern psychology forced us to solely look at our own uh, personal pasts and personal narratives. And in a way, I think that that's, you know, it, it's constraining and it's a relief to know that it didn't only begin with us. It actually, it's, we're part of a very many links in a chain of our moods and our habits and the type of food we like and what our relationships are like. So it's nice to know that, wow, I can look back and say, wow, I'm just part of a river of, of these things. And that I'm not completely responsible to, for um, the behaviors, moods, the shape of my body that I come with. And but, there's a relief, there was a relief for me, at least I'll say. No, I, th- I think so. I feel the same. And I, but also I think the other part of that, and you mentioned it, is when we talk about those resources and those memories that also shape us, I think of, wow, she was, um, my mom came to this country without speaking English and she created a life for her here. She raised, you know, three children and she raised them well, not always easily, but but well, in that we, our, our, you know, what we had here 
was very different than if we would have she would have stayed in El Salvador. So what kind of courage does that take? So I feel like, gosh, you know, I come from a long line of spiky, spunky women that um, that really had to do things in a different way in order for their the survival of their children. Since we're talking about moms, right? M much of it was because I have children, the tending and befriending, taking care of that social network, and that it was the individual, but it was the individual within the construct of the family system and the community. And that to me is what is also very healing to think about, oh, it's not just me as an individual. It's me as a family and a community, right? It's the whole, it's the, I call it the whole enchilada. <laughs> think of all the things you put into an enchilada, right? The whole enchilada. But I love that because it tells me a little bit more about you too, you know, and why your focus has been so heavily on building resilience and working through adversity and finding, you know, strength and safe, calm places within challenge. And yeah. why maintain such a very positive attitude through it all, Elaine? Well, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's you know, I just like everyone else, there are times that, the, that you're in the, uh, the window of darkness and you go away. I say, well, what, what else can we see? What else is true? And sometimes I need help to remind me of what else is true. But I think that's also, I think that's something that all of our audience should, you know, pay attention to that. There are dark times that we all experience. I mean, think about your mom and dad who was probably worried about their little 11 year old going, oh my gosh. And you had the means and they had the education to get you to someone who could help you. Not all children have those advantages and yet children are suffering right now. So how can we help them in ways that, you know, you see a child who may be suffering. And sometimes I think it just may be playing a game with them playing something that that is fun for them, soothing, um, someplace where they can feel a little respite from the storms of life that can actually be fun and entertaining, kicking a soccer ball, playing baseball, you know, walking in nature, things that that may be sustaining for them. That's right. And things that can be so easy for us as adults to do with children. Absolutely. And and just as a, you know, I, I really want to mention, we haven't even talked about dementia, which is like been my main. Oh, yes, and I really want to talk about that. Oh, but how this all has to do with brain health and healthy aging is important too. you know, how we treat our children, how we attune to them. The talk, the toxins in our environment, our awareness of all those things does set the stage for our nervous system health. But there was something I wanted to share with you. Oh, it has to do with, with becoming stress resilient and something that's been very helpful for me has been to reframe stress and to look at the upside of stress. Stress had a bad name for a long time, most of my career. And it's only in the last five years that, <clears throat> and I like Kelly McGonigal's book, I think it's called the upside of stress. The reason it's been so important is because inevitably we have stress. Stress is healthy it's adaptive, it's hardening, it's, it's, it can be motivating. Um, there's a type of stress called eustress that is great for us. It creates more nervous system flexibility for us. It motivates us to do well on an exam or a race. And so I just want to let the audience know that stress isn't all bad. It's the stress that doesn't go away. It's the persistent stress that's drones on challenging partnerships, difficult work relationships, COVID, 
persistent fear, war, war, things that really are, you know, um, consistent and persistent that we need to pay attention to. But to notice that there are moments of stress within that, that we can captivate to help build the flexibility and strength um, of our emotional resilience. Well, so when, you know, so the question is, what does Alzheimer's disease have to do with stress resilience then? That's good. You know, stress causes so much change in our physiology and also in our thinking. And um, stress directly impairs how we think, Elaine. Mm -hmm. And I want our listeners to know that because uh, stress affects how we feel. And that's mostly what we talk about. Um, But stress affects how we think. It affects our ability to pay attention. It affects how we remember things. And it ultimately affects much of our physiology. It creates persistent inflammation. And I'm talking again about this chronic stress that we feel like we just can't get out of. Sometimes, you know, I have many patients who don't recognize they're even in it. So it's kind of good to even just notice, am I in a work environment that's really difficult that I'm having a hard time with? How can I create pockets of relief, release, respite? If you're a caretaker, caregiver, Um, So chronic stress really affects the body. It causes persistent inflammation. It changes memory. It changes the actual structure of the brain over time, as does trauma. I think you know that changes our, the structure and function of our brain. Chronic stress affects our vascular health, the health of our uh, blood vessels, our heart health, Um, the, the protective layer between the body and the brain, our blood brain barrier. It affects that. Uh, stress affects the health of our gut. The ch- it changes our the the garden of the gut, our microbiome. So I think it's important to know that there's so much that we can do, but stress does have um, long term effects on our physiology, including uh, just the simple things like cortisol, which I think many people have heard of as a stress hormone, acts as a toxin really if it's persistent. Again, if it's used for for uh, to get us out of a difficult situation and keep us safe, it's very, very healthy. It's that persistent dropping of a toxin. Yeah, that- yeah, I think I like to I like to describe it as that you know, you don't do this intentionally, but you have the foot, your foot on the accelerator of your nervous system and you don't know how to take the foot off mm-hmm. and you don't know that there's a brake right next door. If you just kind of go, okay, I can put the brake on. And these respites that you're talking about is the break. So when we remember those pleasant memories, when we think about something that we like to do, um, whatever those resources are that we have, we're putting the brake on our nervous system. Ah, taking the breath, you know, rocking in the rocking chair, hearing show tunes, whatever that might be, gives us that respite that many of us really need to do and probably don't do it enough. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, it ties into uh, the pillars of brain health that I'm talking about, because even things like diet can, you know, directly benefit our stress resilience. Our gut health can direct the, our microbes. There's a lot of evidence now in the literature that the health of our microbiome can directly affect our ability to tolerate stress and movement. Something you mentioned a little bit, 
physically moving our bodies is so important. And when I do workshops with people, I kind of allow people, I'm, I'm moving my hands up and down now for the listeners, but there's ways we can do kind of a victory feeling with our arms and strong legs. And we can feel in our bodies, even if it's just for a second or 10 seconds, I can move my body in a way that makes me feel strong or safe, or I know safe can be a, a challenging word. And I can also curl up put my arms around myself, hug myself, soothe myself and hold myself like a, a child who's tender. And I'm doing that now for people who aren't on the Facebook live. Well, so and I think the same thing with rocking, you know, like rocking in the rocking chair, you know, some people purchase weighted blankets because the weight of the blanket actually gives them that sense of comfort. But I, I cannot believe our time is fastly slipping away. And I, yes, and I want to, I want to see if there's any parting words of wisdom. I think all your words have been wise, but is there any parting thing you want to say as we're getting ready to end today? You know, I want to, I'd like to, thanks, thanks for the invitation. I'd like to, to leave people with a sense of great hope a sense of great hope uh, in that we have so, there's so much um, potential for us to actually find uh, places of peace inside, work with our nervous systems, work with this very gorgeous, innate capacity called neuroplasticity that allows us to actually create flexibility in our nervous systems um, for greater longevity, for greater cognitive health, and for happier, healthier relationships with ourselves, our family, our communities, and hopefully impacting the, the nervous system of the world in a positive way for peace, for joy. For peace and joy. And so if people would like to get a hold of you, could you tell us your website? Sure. It's EileenNaomiRusk.com. That's I-L-E-N-E, Naomi, N-A-O-M-I, Rusk.com. And I have a, an Instagram that's uh, lowercase Dr. D-R underscore all lowercase R-U-S-K. And I'm sure you'll find me. And I'm also really happy to, to support anyone who has questions around nervous system health and brain health. Um spiritual health and brain health. So feel welcome. Well, um, Dr. Eileen, Naomi Rusk, it has been a pleasure to have you on the show. You are very wise. I know that, I mean, my goodness, it, I told you the time would go fast. I think it went a little faster than I even thought it would because um, there's much more to talk about. So I'm going to invite you to come back again and we can, because I think so many people are worried about Alzheimer's right now um, in different age groups. And I certainly am in that age group now. We're going, oh my gosh, hope it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, um, so in any event, thank you so much. And to our listeners, remember what else is true. If any of you are struggling in your life right now, and I imagine some of you are, I think we've just heard some a very hopeful message. And remember, neuroplastic, neuroplasticity is that means the brain can change. No matter how stuck you are right now, there are ways for you to kind of get unstuck and have a different state, a different way of being in the world. So this is Elaine miller Karras signing out for Resiliency Within until we meet again.
Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine Miller-Karras, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. Resiliency Within, with host Elaine Miller-Karras, is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program, brought to you on the Voice America Health